0: First reading tonight comes from Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 15. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you without money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me, listen, so that you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the promises assured to David. Since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples, so you will summon a nation you don't know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive him. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thornbrush, a cypress will come up, and instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. It will make a name for Yahweh as an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed.
1: Reading number two is on page 1008, Acts chapter 6. All right, starting from verse 1. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews, that their widows were being overlooked in their daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom who we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished; the number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Paul and Jess.
2: Friends, God's church around the world is exploding. Say so that again. God's church around the world is exploding. I didn't say imploding, I said exploding. It, it is growing rapidly, it's growing enormously. So, in the past 24 hours, approximately 80,000 people have given their lives to Christ somewhere in the world. In the past 24 hours, approximately 500 new churches have been established. God's church really is exploding. And I know that we don't see that here often in Sydney. We often think the church is declining and dying. But around the rest of the world, that's not true. Here's some stats for you. A hundred years ago in Korea, there was no single Protestant church. Today in the city of Seoul alone in South Korea, there are 7,000 Protestant churches. Praise God for that. Uh, In India, you may have heard of a caste called the Untouchables. There were 140 million members of that that caste. 14 million are now Christians. 10% are now Christians. Uh, 100 years ago, the the southern part of Africa was 3% Christian. Today, it's 63%. (laughs) Praise God for that, yeah? In Indonesia today, the uh, Islamic Muslim country of Indonesia... A rough estimate is 15% are now Christians. Well, there's no stats on it because the government won't produce stats. What about China? Do you know there are more followers of Jesus Christ in China today than there are members of the Communist Party? And, And everybody says, everyone agrees that China will soon have the most Christians of any country in the whole world. Isn't that worth praising God for? It's kind of ironic that in the Middle East where where Christianity was born and in Europe and in America there's so-called great Christian nations. yeah, the church is dying. But that's not true around the rest of God's world. God's church is exploding, growing exponentially. Wouldn't you love to see that happen in Kiribati? Wouldn't you love to see Tens of thousands of people come to Christ and God's church just explode. I want to talk today about church growth. And I don't mean, you know, breaking through the 80 barrier and the hundred barrier and the two fifty and a thousand barrier. I don't mean transfer growth, you know, what I call the shuffling of the sheep, Christians moving churches. I just mean gospel growth. I mean, people boldly proclaiming Christ crucified and a, an amazing work of the Spirit that, that people hear and believe and are convicted and are born again. And God's church is gross. Wouldn't you love to see that happen in Sydney? Well, let me ask you do you pray for it? Do you pray for church explosion here in Sydney? Do you pray for revival? Listen to the great Spurgeon. He says, I may talk to you about revivals, but you won't believe them half as much nor half as truly as if one were to occur in your very midst. If you saw a revival with your own eyes, then you would see the power of it. If you'd lived in Whitfield's day or heard Grimshaw, Grimshaw preach, you would believe anything is possible. Uh, Grimshaw would preach 24 times a week. He would preach many times every day, going from place to place on horseback, and that man did preach about Christ crucified. It seemed as if heaven would come down to earth and listen to him. He spoke with earnestness, with a fire, with a zeal, and people trembled, and they were born again. Same with Whitfield. The people would seem to move to and fro whilst he spoke, and even as the harvest is field is moved with the wind, so mighty was the energy of God that after hearing such a sermon, the hardest-hearted men would go away and say, "There must be something in that. I've never heard the like." And tens of thousands were born again. Oh brethren, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there were just some among you who would go home tonight and pray for such a revival? Men whose faith is large enough and their love far enough to lead them from this moment to exercise unceasing intercessions that God would appear again, save lost souls and cause a massive revival. Do you ever pray for that? Do you believe that God could do it? You share about church by the bridge, we've seen a massive growth here. In the early days of church by the bridge, Ten years ago, what did we do? It wasn't rocket science. We prayed fervently. We walked through the streets and we prayed. And we, we boldly preached Christ crucified. And what happened? Surprise, surprise, people became Christians. And in those early days of church by the bridge, there was this real sense that we were a family. And we were serving God together. We were using our different gifts. Everyone found their part to play in God's church. In the early days of church by the bridge, we were like a family who loved each other and we carried one another's burdens. And when you've got that kind of church, you know, a praying church, a preaching church, a loving church, a serving church, what happens? The gospel is very attractive and people flocked to Christ. And we grew and we grew and we grew. And then we stopped growing. What caused the, the plattering of church by the bridge? Well, the grumbling started. Often amongst the original few members. All these new people doing new ministry that, that they weren't involved in. How dare decisions be made that they weren't part of? Almost like their little social club had been grown a bit too large for them. And then we had new words called, others can do it. Or all these potential new ministers, but other people can do that. Or the new trendy word, we could just outsource it. They'd just pay someone else to do that. And surprise, surprise, church plateaued. What also happened is that the, you know, the, the main task, the primary task of making sure that we were praying in church and we were preaching church and we were loving church, that almost got swallowed up with all the other stuff that was happening around church. And it's kind of ironic, you know, that what can actually be a bottleneck to church growth is the church itself. And I think that's the lesson from Acts chapter 6. Just look at it with me, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, as the number of the disciples was multiplying, the word there is literally exploding. And just to give you the the idea that it's a few months after Pentecost, a a few months after the the Spirit of God has come, and the number of disciples has increased to 5,000 men plus the women, plus the kids. So you've got a, a church of, what, 10,000 plus people? That's a church explosion, isn't it? And what an amazing church it was. The, the early church that we've seen where, you know, they are selling property and they're selling fields and they're loving one another and they're learning from each other and they're worshipping God. And then if, if God's church keeps on growing, what do you think Satan's going to try and do? Back in Acts chapter 4, we saw Satan's first attempt to stop church growth. It's called Operation Persecution. Let's put the, put the preachers into prison. That will shut them up, won't it? Have them in jail. But that didn't work because Peter said, no, I'll keep on preaching. And so the second attempt we saw in chapter 5 last week is called Operation Hypocrisy. Let's get people like Ananias and Sapphira, uh, men and women who are not filled with the Spirit, but filled with Satan, living hypocritical lives. That would make the gospel unattractive, but that didn't work either. In tonight's passage, I think we see Satan's most subtle but most powerful weapon. I've called it Operation Distraction. Let's distract the church, shall we? Let's shift the focus away from preaching the word, and from praying, and from loving. Let's, let's distract the church with lots of church programs. Administration, building projects, social action projects. And how about we, we get one man, and let's call him the minister. And let's expect that one person to do everything, shall we? That's a surefire way to stop the gospel going out, isn't it? I want to focus first tonight on two distractions. Two distractions to gospel growth. And the first one is called complexities. The more complex a church becomes, the greater the danger of being distracted from preaching Jesus. The more complex a church becomes, the greater the danger of the distractions of preaching Jesus. That seems to be the case here. Look at verse 1 again. In those days, the number of the disciples was exploding there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews. So two sets of Jews, the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and they complained that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, actually, I read verse 1, and I'm quite encouraged, because this church is a spirit-filled church, because they're caring for their widows. The widows were being cared for, they were being fed, they were being helped, they were being supported. But the, the point is that The church is now, what, 10,000 people plus? So we're not just talking about a handful of widows. We're talking about hundreds of widows. And so you've got Christians selling their properties and Christians selling fields and bringing them money and expecting the apostles to manage all that kind of stuff and to know who the widows are, where they live, what their needs are, and this is all in the days before El Vanto and online surveys and stuff like that. And my point is this, that as the church gets more complex, as you have more and more and more ministers, you can get distracted from the main game of preaching and praying and just loving. And apparently the Greek-speaking Jews, the widow, their widows were being overlooked, verse 1. They were feeling hard done by, short-changed. They were not receiving as much care as the other gang. Do you notice in verse 1 that we're not told whether that was deliberate or accidental? We just don't know. Perhaps like most complexes in ministry, just that the, the minister just overlooked it, dropped the ball on that one. But again, as church by the bridge has become more complex. You know, ten years ago we didn't have a kids' church, we didn't have a playtime, we didn't have prime, there was no soul, we didn't have teams going to Greenway or James Milton or Winter Appeals or Operation Christmas Charles, and they are all important and vital and amazing ministries. So I praise God for every single one of them. But it's very easy to get distracted from preaching and praying and just managing all these ministries. The second distraction is there in verse one as well. There is a complaint. The word literally is grumbling. And the best way to distract the church from growth is to grumble. Complain and whinge and moan. I read a blog this week, it's called How to Wreck a Church in Three Weeks. Week one. Walk into church preoccupied with how long you've been a member. How much you have sacrificed for this church. How underappreciated you are. Make a mental note of all the ways you have been disappointed and all the people who have discouraged you and let those things fester for seven days. Week two. Catch up for coffee with a small group and grumble and complain. Share your concerns about how much the church has changed and how you feel left out and how underappreciated you are. And talk about how you don't know these new people. And why have they been asked to serve in the area that you once served in? And then share all that as a prayer point. Week three, uh, make sure the now ever-increasing group of grumblers demand time with the pastor to air all their grievances and to make sure he spends all his time hearing people's hurts, trying to put out fires, and being distracted from doing any ministry of the word and prayer. If you want to wreck this church, just do that. Just distract the pastors and the leaders and the hive leaders from word and prayer ministry and just fill our diaries with administration and putting out fires. So what's the answer? How do you make sure that God's church keeps on growing? Uh, Know what they don't do. They don't divide into different homogeneous congregations, the Greek-speaking church and the Hebraic church. They don't form a committee to write a paper or policy on how to handle a food distribution. What do they do? Here's what they do. They empower the body to serve. They empower God's people to use their gifts to serve. They establish church structures, church governance to enable some people to do word and prayer and other people to wait on tables. Let me just reread verses 2 to 4. Literally, see if you can spot the repeated word. You kind of missed it in our translation. Verse 2, then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples. We're talking about 10,000 people. And said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to deacon on tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to the deaconing ministry but we we will devote ourselves to the deaconing of prayer and the deaconing of preaching. What's the repeated word? Deaconing. The word deacon just means serving. Such a beautiful word, serving, isn't it? And when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't come to to be served, but to to serve. And that beautiful picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ kneeling in front of his disciples and washing their feet he served them that's what you and I are called to do to live a life of service not serving self but serving others it's a really simple church structure you can't neglect word and prayer but neither can you neglect care ministers and that's why God made us a different body with different gifts and different functions because no one person can do it all And no no one person should do it all. So some people deacon by word and prayer. The Bible has different names for those people. They're called overseers or elders or pastors. They're all interchangeable. In verse 2, the 12, summoned the whole company of disciples said, it wouldn't be right for us, it wouldn't be proper for us to stop preaching about God because we're so consumed with handling financial matters or waiting on tables. It's not right that we neglect the preaching of the word and prayer ministries to do all the administration, that's I think. Verse four, we devote ourselves, we be committed to the deaconing of prayer and to the preaching ministry. Let me ask you, why is it important in the church that, that people are set aside for word and prayer ministry? Why does it matter? If the word doesn't go out, if the word is not preached, souls, souls cannot be saved, can they? If the word is not preached to the Christians, then, then you cannot grow and mature in your faith and be equipped to live for Jesus as you walk out this door tonight. I hope you you don't want to come to church every Sunday night and get a a half-baked sermon because I have been distracted all week by putting together food rosters or doing administration all week or putting out fires. I hope you long to be fed the scriptures faithfully every week so that you're equipped to live for Jesus and share your faith with other people. Why does prayer matter? Because unless the Lord builds a house, the workers labour in vain. I have the privilege of praying for each one of you by name every single week. I have the privilege of doing that. What a gift that is. I can actually pray for you. The ministry of prayer and proclamation, of of prayer and word. David Jackman says that you, you want to come to church on a Sunday and hear a sermon that sounds so obvious. you Are looking at the Bible and say, yeah, I get that, and yeah, I get that, and yeah, I get that. And you think to yourself, why did it take him so long to prepare that sermon? That's the sign of a good sermon. If he has laboured so hard in his study that he's made the word of God sound so simple. It still takes me about 12 hours to prepare a sermon. I'm okay with that. Labouring in the scriptures, grappling with the truth to feed God's flock every Sunday. What a privilege that is. Isn't that what you want? do you pray for your pastors, for me, for Andy, for Coralie, for your hive leaders, that they will be men and women who are set aside for word and prayer ministry. Not bogged down with putting out all these fires and doing lots of administration and building projects. There's some weeks where I feel like I'm an, an architect and an accountant and a counsellor, and everything in between. (laughs) He he says in verse 2, it wouldn't be right for us to give up preaching about God to wait on tables. Let me be very clear that the task of waiting on tables should never be be below any pastor. It's not a, a pride issue, it's a priority issue. If the word isn't preached, saints don't grow, and there's no desire to witness. What about deking on tables, verse 3? Handling financial matters, literally waiting on tables, doing the administrations, doing the care rosters. We need those people, don't we? We need people set aside for admin, structures, operations, social justice ministries, all the different policies, all the different programs. Let me make it very, very clear. The Bible never calls those inferior to word and prayer ministry. They're just different. And we need both. We need pastoral care teams. We need visiting the sick teams. We need structures and budgets and policies. And you see in verse 3, we're supposed to choose deacons. Therefore, brothers, select from among you. This is the congregation being set apart to choose deacons. Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty. Let me say that this role is not restricted to men. Sure, they choose seven men, but elsewhere in the Bible you have female speakers like, like Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 or 1 Timothy 3, deaconesses. It's not a, a gender thing, it's a character thing. You need people, verse 3, of good reputation, literally of known character, approved character. They're people who are already serving, they just haven't got the title. You need people, verse 3, who are full of the Spirit. That is, they are not carried along by their own desires, but by God's desires. They're full of wisdom, verse 3. They're wise in how they live before God. They're wise in how they live before other people. They're wise in how they apply the word of God to their life. And the choosing is done by the whole congregation. In verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole company. That's the work of the Spirit, isn't it? Getting 10,000 believers to agree on something. And then they're commissioned in verse 6. They're ordained in verse 6. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them and set them aside, who consecrated them for this deaconing of tables ministry. I love these verses. It just reminds me that if the gospel is going to keep going out, if we're not going to get distracted by word and prayer, we need to share the responsibility with a team of people who are set aside for all the waiting-on-tables ministries, all the policies, the procedures, the structures, the finances. So we have to thank God for people like Paul Martin and for Ian Campbell down here, who have just done finances for the past 10 years. All that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, is essential to free us up for word and prayer ministry. Thank God for Lynn Peach over there, who writes all these policies to ensure that all these ministries can just happen. Thank God for Robert and Karen Moller who spent hours and hours and hours on website design and graphic design to enable uh, gospel work to keep on happening. Vanya, on the greeting teams, just loves welcoming the new people. Annie, with your dinners for all the new people at church. Uh, I, I don't mean to, 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 to name it, like Lizzie with your, all your different ministers at play. I, I could name lots of people here. If I haven't mentioned just now, please don't feel offended. <laughs> the point is that we've all got different gifts and it's not about being up front and it's not about just being a hive leader. It's about using whatever gift you've got to sacrificially and selflessly serve the body. Because if we don't, we'll be the bottleneck to church growth here. Anyway, they chose seven men. Let me just read the list. They chose Stephen. we we'll hear about him next week in Acts chapter 7. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful description, isn't it? Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip. He's the man who, in Acts chapter 8, evangelized the Ethiopian ruler and took the gospel to Africa. They chose Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and, and Parmenas and Nicolaus. When I read those seven names, three things struck me. The first one is this, that all seven names are Greek names. That's pretty amazing. Like you've got this church where there's both Greeks and there's Hebrews. And all seven of them are Greeks. And I think the point is this, that they're not concerned about getting you know fair representation from every walk of life to make sure that every congregation is represented on parish council and that we've got a single, we've got a mayor, we've got kids and no kids they want to get the best people for the job these all happen to be Greek now, the second thing that struck me is that uh, these men like Stephen and Philip they're the men that you see in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8 preaching the gospel and evangelising I'm thinking, hang on a minute, they're supposed to be the guys set aside for waiting on tables how does that work? The point is this, that the men and the women who humbly and sacrificially and selflessly just give her their time and their energy to do all the behind-the-scenes work, they're often the people who love Jesus the most. And they're often the people who will take every opportunity to evangelize and share their faith. Just because you are set aside to wait on tables doesn't mean you don't have the opportunity to talk about Jesus, does it? And the third thing that struck me, and I may be wrong about this, but I think I'm not, is that the church doesn't always get it right. Sometimes it chooses dodgy people. Because I think that last man, Nicolaus. see his name there? I think he's the man, not you, Nick. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think Nicholas there is the man who introduces the heresy of the Nicolaitans. Have you heard of that in Revelation? I think it's him. And the point is that sometimes you choose a dodgy character. Friends, we need to make sure that, yes, we've set aside people for the word and permission, but yes, we've set aside people for waiting on tables. I have to say I was slightly discouraged by our recent AGM, where we appointed deacons, the parish council, to do property and finance and policies. And less than 10% of the church turned up. Less than 10%. And we were scrambling around for people to do those roles. But on a more encouraging note, on a more positive note, it's just amazing to see all the different ministries that people are just initiating, just getting on with and just doing. That's the way the church should run. Thank you to those people who serve so sacrificially. Thank you to those men and women who just... They don't care about the praise of men. You're getting, going along doing your business, serving your saviour. He sees you, know, and he grows your, his church through people like you. Now what happens when you get it right? Well, verse 7 happens. So the preaching about God flourished and the number of disciples in Jerusalem literally again exploded <laughs> And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Even the priests, even the religious rulers who hated Jesus and hated the disciples, God softened their hearts and they believed and there was revival in Jerusalem. So don't you want that? Don't you long for that revival here in Kirribilli? revival here in Sydney? Let me finish by speaking personally. I, I do not want to personally be the bottleneck to gospel growth here at Church by the Bridge. I don't want to have to be involved in, in ticking off every single ministry. I don't want to micromanage the church. I want to liberate people and free people just to use their gifts to serve and to grow God's kingdom. But equally, some of you need to change your expectations of me and your other pastors because I can't possibly meet with over 500 people every week and to hear all your problems. Oh, I could do. but would be half-baked sermons every Sunday and you'd have a prayerless pastor and a burnt-out pastor. But I don't want you to be the bottleneck either. Please don't just think others. And please just don't think outsource We're supposed to think, what can I do with the gifts that God has given me to serve God's church and to build the kingdom? You know, I I read those stats about church explosion around the world, 80,000 new believers in the last 24 hours, 500 new churches every day. I do pray, Lord, when, how long? Why not here in Sydney? Would you pray for revival? Would you pray for a gospel explosion here in Sydney? We're going to do that now. We're going to have a time of open prayer. Pray for revival in Sydney. Pray for all those who have word and prayer ministers. Pray for all those who are set aside to deacon on tables, to wait on tables. Just pray that we're a body that actually serves our Savior. So I'll kick us off and then you just pray. Stand where you are or sit where you are in a loud voice, just lead us in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that your gospel is going out throughout the world and we're seeing people turn into Christ in their thousands. Thank you, Father, for the boldness of churches around your world who are fervently praying and fiercely talking about Jesus. Would you do that here, please, in Sydney? Please grow your church in Jesus' name. Amen.